You're listening to episode 95 of the Mud Stories podcast, a podcast dedicated to bringing you inspiration in your muddiest moments, hope to make it through your mud, and encouragement for you to know that you are never, ever alone. Welcome back. I am so glad you're with me today. And what a treat we have because we get to talk today about happiness. And hold on, I know this is a podcast about the mud, and we will certainly be talking about some mud. But through our mud in the various seasons of life, we all, I think, at our very core desire to be happy. And so that is going to be the topic that we are going to be discussing today. And we're going to be led by Jennifer Dukesley. She is the former news reporter and journalist professor who now uses her reporting skills to chase the biggest story ever, the redemptive story of Christ. Jennifer describes herself as a speaker and a writer who loves, okay, listen to the listen to these. Air guitar, dark chocolate, emojis, who doesn't like emojis? Messy people, I'm already loving her more, and Jesus, of course. She lives on a farm in Iowa with her husband and two daughters and is the author of two books, including her newest one entitled The Happiness Dare, Pursuing Your Heart's Deepest, Holiest, and Most Vulnerable Desire. Jennifer, I am so glad to welcome you back to the show. I am so happy. This is one of my favorite podcasts of all time. So it's just a great privilege to get to be here with you. Well, I'm so glad you're here and that you're joining us for the second time. Not to mention that you are my birthday buddy since we do share a birthday, which I don't think we discovered and for a little bit, but then we did and such fun. Yeah. Facebook let us know. I know. I know. <laughs> Except I'm a year older, I will say. Oh, yes. <laughs> you get to be younger. And that makes me happy. <laughs> that makes you happy because we're talking about happiness today. Okay, mm-hmm. but before we talk about happiness, I want to tell everybody you have been on Mud Stories before, way back on episode 14. You came and talked to us all about Love Idol, your first book, Letting Go of Our Need for Approval, Seeing Ourselves Through God's Eyes. And I just wanted to encourage you who are listening, if you didn't hear Jennifer on that episode, I want to point you back to that. We will be here waiting for you when you return. You can get there by going to JackieWatkins.com forward slash episode 14 or on your favorite podcast app. So there you have it. I'm so glad you're back. I am so happy to be back. Give them a little synopsis of what that first book and that first message was about. Yeah. I mean, Love Idol was really my heart story. It was um, it was my muddiest mud. <laughs> and it was the mud that I lived in for pretty much all of my life. I have um, really struggled. Even every day, Jackie, I still struggle to pull myself out of that mud and have God pull me out of that mud of mm-hmm. wanting the approval of people. Um, I just so often want the approval of people over the approval of God, and he is just continually freeing me from that. And the journey of writing Love Idol really helped. Um, you know, you've talked to enough authors, and you're a writer yourself, and and your listeners are, the, who are writers know that, you know, when you write through these things, they help you to process and learn um, where your shortcomings are. And kind of, I, I wrote myself out of the problem, I guess is what you could say, but um, <laughs> God just really showed me um, where where I was in the pitfalls of wanting the approval of people and a lot through my performances. I mm-hmm. felt like so much of my value was in, um, you know, getting the A plus, you know, writing a book that would impress people would, you know, before I wrote the book, I mean, even I had to fight the love idol when I was writing love idol. <laughs> like I want this book to get be good. And every time I stood on a stage, I want people to like me when I speak. I mean, I have to continually lay down that mm-hmm. idol because I want people to like me. And, you know, I've said to the Lord again and again, God, if if this is the thorn in my side that keeps me close to you, then it is what it is. And so it does keep me very close to the Lord and him constantly reminding me that this is all about him and not about what people think. And, 
You'd think that at 44 years old, I wouldn't have to still, you know, wrestle down that idol every day, but quite often I do. But it is, I, I have learned a lot about myself. I've learned a lot about the Lord and it's, um, it definitely has changed um, the way that I raise my children. It's changed my relationships with people because mm-hmm. once you know that you have the approval of God, then it changes the, how, how you relate to people, right? Relationally, you're no longer trying to earn their approval because you're operating out of God's approval for you. So that's the essence of that message, really just my story of uh, trying to overcome that idol with the with the help of the Holy Spirit within me. Yeah, which is help I think we all need. We yes. all need. And, in, you know, I saw you shortly after the release of that book. I think it was the fall of 2014. Am I right? That's right. The fall of 2014. Yeah. And we talked about, okay, well, what's next? What's the next thing on the docket? And spent some time in person together at a conference and and it was really up in the air what direction you were going to be led and I over that next season you know was cheering for you in whatever direction you would go and uh, would love to hear what that bridge looked like from that message to this new message which is entitled the happiness dare because I'm guessing there's a backstory on how that led forward and a personal story, too, Mm -hmm. of struggling with wanting to be happy. I think we all want to be happy. And when I heard this was the title, I was so hoping you would be able to come back and share with us because Mm -hmm. I think it's, again, another heart message that we all need to hear. So how did one lead to another? Yeah. So, okay, here I am, you know, 2014, everything is looking good in Jennifer's life, right? I have, I've got a book out. I, I was a writer for years before and I'd been a lot blogger for a long time. And so this is like every writer's dream, right? To get a book contract with a major publisher. And, um, I, uh, I was then right around that same time I, I joined the encourage team. And on top of that, just my personal life was things were going great in my personal life. Um, I have a good marriage. I've got a roof over my head. I've got two healthy children and they're just growing up so fast and just trying mm. to soak in all these moments. Right. And so you look around at your life like that, and and I started to think, you know, I had I should be really, really happy. I mean, there were things in my life that were that, that were tough. I mean, we all have, you know, loss, and I we we lost people that we love. I went through some illnesses that were really hard. My daughter had been sick. Uh, my dad um, became, had a lot of physical problems. I mean. There were just so many other, there were so many challenges, but on balance, I had so many reasons to be happy. And I I began to look at my life um, where I was at, and and I'm like, okay, here I am in middle adulthood, and I feel like a chronic Eeyore. Um, For most of my life, I have considered myself a pretty happy person. Um, I've learned that people have what are called set points of happiness. It's like your genetic point for your metabolism or your athletic ability or whether you can sing or not, right? So we have these set points of happiness. And I would say that my set point of happiness was actually pretty high. I've always tended to see the glasses half full, but I had fallen into this blandness and I wondered, okay, I'm, you know, around 40, 42 years old. Is this a midlife crisis? Um, I didn't think I was depressed necessarily because I knew what it felt like. I had suffered postpartum depression after our second daughter was born, but I wasn't what I would describe as overly happy, especially when I was looking around at my life and thinking, how can you not be happy? You have so many blessings in your life, but I've got to be honest with you. And this sounds so so selfish, you know, that I wanted happiness. And that's the way I felt. It's like, how how can you want happiness? But at night I would wake up like at three, four in the morning, just with a lot of anxiety. And, um, I would would be worrying about what was coming up in the future. Um, I'd regret things in my past. I mean, even in my far past. Um, and I knew in the waking hours of my life that I had somewhere along the way, lost the fullness of my happiness and that my happiness didn't depend on a contract for a book or um, being on the encourage team or any any circumstances in my life that somewhere along the way I lost the fullness of my happiness and so here's the crazy thing though Jackie that um 
during those times of just blandness, my greatest comfort came in believing that God didn't care about my happiness anyway, (laughs) that he only cared about my holiness. So I figured, hey, you know, I'm gloomy, but at least I'm good with God. So um, almost like they were mutually exclusive from one another. Yeah, right. And so like my search for holiness became an excuse to stop seeking happiness, like happiness doesn't matter. And um, I had been talking with Scott about happy. We, we had submitted a study about marriage and we um, were talking about happy marriages. And one morning I flat out asked God for happiness. I'm like, I literally, literally prayed, you know, I want to be happy, God. I want to have a happy marriage. I want my kids to be happy. I want to be happy. And for a second, I thought to myself, are you kidding me? Did you (laughs) just ask God for happiness? What on earth are you thinking? Like, is he going to strike you down? What is wrong with you, girlfriend? But I kept praying. And, um, and I, as I was praying, you know, he did not strike me down clearly. Um, but I was like, God, do you even care about people's happiness? Is it okay for a woman who loves Jesus to desire happiness? And, you know, here I had just written this book that was addressing all these worldly things of approval and people pleasing. And at that time, I would have lumped happiness in with all of that. And here I suddenly was asking God for something. It was to me, it felt like I was asking God for the approval of people. (laughs) I mean, it felt that it felt that wrong. And so, you know, I asked him, should I only want joy? Because the church has said joy is is really good and happiness isn't. And so, you know, and furthermore, God, you know, do I dare ask for happiness when I have a thousand other reasons to be happy already? Do I dare? And God says, yes, you dare. And I dare you. (laughs) (laughs) And so it became, I I kind of put my old newspaper reporting skills to work and I, I began to read everything I could about happiness in the scriptures, of course, but I also began to read, there was a, about two years ago, there was a, even probably earlier than that, there was a really strong secular movement of uh, books on happiness and I'd read some of them, but of course they were missing a key element, right? Um, and that was Jesus. I mean, if anybody's got a reason to be happy, it's the people who love Jesus. And there's whole sections of books on happiness, for instance, at Barnes and Noble. Mm. And um, they're missing this, they were missing this one element. And I thought, well, that's, but, but God doesn't care about happiness. So you can see the struggle. Mm. There was, you could see the struggle that was there. And one, and one, during some of those prayers, um, the answer to my question to the Lord really came in a memory And um, the memory that he gave me was a moment that I would have to say was perhaps the happiest moment in all my life. And it was after I had attended a spiritual revival revival. It was like Bible. It was like a three day weekend. It was like Bible camp for big people. I even like I had my (laughs) fully dynamite pajama pants. And, you know, I was like, it was so fun. And so my faith was really renewed. And it was just all these girlfriends. And I had never felt so much happiness and it was a happiness that wasn't just like this Bible camp effect because it really stuck with me. It was very steady for several years. And I know it's because during most of my growing up years and even into my early twenties, um, I grew up in a Christian environment, but didn't believe the faith that I had grown up in. It seemed a sham. It seemed a fairy tale. And for the first time in my life, um, God had presented to me himself to me in a very real and tangible way. And when you encounter God in that way in, you know, your early 30s and he comes to you and brings you such joy and happiness, you can't feel anything but positively changed and giddy. And so when I was praying for happiness, if, if it's okay to be happy, that's the memory that God gave me. And he was reminding me that moment that happiness was tied directly to holiness, that it wasn't something apart from being holy. It was a part of mm. holiness. And so when I, uh, when I took that dare and began to explore more and more, I'm like, this is the seed of a book. It felt like a dare from God and the dare that, that I wanted to pass along. So that's how it started. And now, you know, looking back, doesn't it just seem like it makes sense as a second book? 
Um, you know, once you have your identity secure in Christ, which is really the core of Love Idol is identity, then you have a reason to be be happy really beyond all measure. Well, I love that. And I would love to hear more about what life was like before that memory encounter that you re- recalled. Before Christ changed your life, I'm sure there were moments of happiness, but I'd like to have you zero in on what that was like being an adult without Christ and then the change and and then how that memory impacted this new dare. You know, I had a very happy childhood. I knew I was loved and cared for. Um, I grew up in one home all of my life. Uh, my parents loved and cherished me. They took me to church um, and I went to a, a good college. And I mean, it, it looks like a picture perfect life on the outside, but what was happening on the inside wasn't so pretty. Um, I remember going to bed night after night after night thinking, this is it. There is nothing after this. You go six feet under and this is it. So Jennifer, you are going to have to do whatever you can in this life to make a name for yourself and to be happy with, you know, like kind of a whatever it takes way, Mm -hmm. because this is it. This is the, there, there is nothing, this is your last hurrah and it could end at any moment and there's nothing beyond this. And it, that is, I can't even begin to tell you what a dark, empty feeling that is. And then on top of it, it was a secret that I held so deeply within me because I had such shame. I mean, my parents raised me in, in the church, but just intellectually, I, I just couldn't go there. I could not buy into um, Jesus Christ, you know, dying for my sins and rising from a tomb. It just didn't make any scientific sense to me. It seemed ridiculous. And furthermore, I looked around and saw a lot of church people that really didn't seem all that happy. And if Mm. that were, if that were true, Mm -hmm. that Jesus really died for their sins. And if he really rose from the grave and we really were going to heaven wouldn't we be happier? And so the idea of the Christian faith bringing me happiness seemed completely bonkers. Um, So I poured my life into work and I really enjoyed and found happiness in my life as a news reporter. But again, I mean, that's all Mm -hmm. fleeting, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the the, the, you, you turn in your story, maybe it's on the front page the next day, and it's like Groundhog Day, like our birthday, that movie, Groundhog Day, where <laughs> right. it's like the same thing over and over. Right. It's like, okay, here we go again. Here we go again. New story, Another. new deadline. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, you know, and I think that um, when God really started to work on in my life on in that area is that, you know, that moment when in your listeners who have children or nieces or nephews or other little kids in their lives will relate to this. But children have a way of having you think about <laughs> the bigger purpose of life and that there's got to be more to life. And why are we here anyway? And so um, I was pregnant with Lydia and it was September 11th, 2001. And those towers came down and Lydia was to be born in two months. And I'm like, there, it it just made me stop and ask some really deep questions about myself, about, is there a God about the kind of world that I was bringing Lydia into? And I would say that was a very pivotal moment for me to really begin to explore Mm. whether the God of my childhood was the God of eternity. And if this was all real, but it wasn't until, you know, several years later that I ended up at that retreat and had God meet me in a really powerful way. Um, in which a lot of my circumstances hadn't changed. I mean, when I went to that weekend, um, there were things in my life, uh, especially related to great loneliness and living in a new community on a farm where I had no friends. I had no connections. I felt very lonely and isolated and depressed. Mm -hmm. Going to this weekend um, and having God encounter me in a very profound way, leaving there with the same set of circumstances really on the surface, but inside God having profoundly changed me was proof to me that a person can find happiness regardless 
of their circumstances. And, you know, Jackie, we may want to talk too a little bit here about um, the fact that happiness doesn't mean that we like are perpetually happy, right? Right. I mean, real happiness leaves space for our tears, leaves space for maybe even long seasons of not being okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think that's, that's an important part of my message of the happiness dare. This is not a, you know, happy, clappy all the time, smiling at the front of the church doors, and I'm just fine and everything's dandy. This happiness is a durable kind of happiness that I think our world is in desperate mm-hmm. need of right now. It, it's hard to release a book about happiness in a world like it is today. I'll tell you what. I mean, people think that happiness is so far out of reach. I mean, people are facing circumstances that are that are far, you know, far worse than what I've been experiencing over the last 44 years of my life. Um, and so I address that in, in uh, The Happiness Dare, you know, really at length and talk to some people who have faced blood stories like you would not believe, you know, mm-hmm. the loss of children, for instance, and telling me how happiness was really a tool to rescue them out of their own mud. Um, an acquaintance of mine uh, shares her story in the book about losing her daughter at the hands of a daycare provider. Um, her daughter was three years old, and and she's no longer with us. And this mother shares her story of how she had to dig in deep and use happiness and joy really as a weapon to fight her way back into the light. And um, I, I've, happiness is is sort of given this sort of kitten, kittenish, um, silly little giddy feeling. But um, I'm learning through my through talking with people with their own mud stories that happiness is so durable and has such mm-hmm. great value. And I think especially in times like these. Well, just like you didn't have to check your intellect to be a Christ follower, we don't have to turn in bad circumstances just to get happiness. And I, it's funny that you bring up that area in that chapter because I took this book with me on vacation. And the actual day I read chapter 13, on the bottom of one of the pages, it shared Autumn's birthday. Mm. And do you know, Jennifer, Autumn's birthday is July 14th. That is the very day I was sitting with this book, July 14th, reading that paragraph. Mm. And I thought, that is so moving. And I love what that mother says. She says, fighting for happiness is the way toward happiness. Happiness doesn't just happen. It's a choice we make every day. And... It's part of your message in that area when our circumstances really aren't facilitating the most optimal setup for abounding huge happiness, but we can still look in the small places and note be a noticer and choose happiness. And so. yeah, you know, she she talks about how um, you know that her fight for happiness does it never denies the profound sadness that she feels like Mm -hmm. her deepest ache until heaven will not be eradicated. Mm -hmm. Um, The emptiness in her heart is always there. She says that autumn is, you know, always in her thoughts and um, thinks of her every day, you know, every vacation, this, this, there's this one child who's not there. And there's this one child who's not at the table at dinner. And, all of those sorts of things. But she also says she, she feels everything deeper, both the sorrow, but she also feels this, feels this happiness and joy even more deeply. Like every new day mm-hmm. she appreciates every ba- every time she sees a baptism, she says, because she knows that, that autumn is living the realization of her baptism right now, that every Lord's supper, every, time autumn comes around in the seasons and the color of the leaves and and what she has done out of her own sorrow is what the givers do we have these five happiness types um, but this is what the givers do is they create happiness for others and that's what jennifer this other jennifer the mother that we're talking about has done Um, they've created action for autumn and on every year on autumn's birthday they put out this call for random acts of kindness and it's grown into an event called action for autumn. And 
I was in your state on Action Action for Autumn Day on July 14th, and I um, went to the little, is it CVS Pharmacy? Is yes. that what you have out there? Yes. Okay, so on Huntington Beach, and I went and I bought a bunch of pails, green sand buckets and shovels mm. and cards, and I wrote in these cards, I said, this is in honor of this little girl, Autumn, and she's in heaven, playing on a beach in heaven somewhere, um, but I'm, I'm leaving these for you in her honor, and maybe you can remember Autumn as as your children play with these buckets, and I'm sitting them out on the beach with Kristen Strong, a, a friend of mine, and I think probably a friend of yours too, Jackie, but oh, yeah. we're sitting these out on the, the beach, and I'm like, this is so ridiculous. Like in today's day and age, like this, the cops are going to come here and like arrest us. They're going to think we're <laughs> planting something. But we just, you know, sometimes you just do the most ridiculous things in the name of Jesus. And so we're setting out all these pails and all these shovels and all these cards. And um, I just turned around and walked. I didn't even want to look. I didn't want to see somebody kick them over or pick them all up and throw them away. Like, please, God, just let this bless somebody. Well, a couple days later, I went on the Action for Autumn website, and there was a picture of a one-year-old girl and her mother from Arizona who had visited Huntington Beach and came across those buckets. And this was that little girl's first visit to a beach. Mm. And they posted it on the Action for Autumn website. And I got to tell you, it brought so much happiness. And and I hope it brought happiness to Autumn's mother and to all of the Action for Autumn people. But I think, you know, that's a lot of what this happiness dare is about. It's just doing just doing these little things and engaging in small moments and mm-hmm. ordinary things and even just silly things just to bring a, bring a little bit more light to this world, to this crazy, busted up, broken world. And it, it not only brings happiness to our own hearts, but hopefully it's contagious toward other people, which is what I, I felt like we saw with the the mother and her her child on Huntington Beach. Absolutely. Well, I'd love if you'd explain to us and encourage us why it's okay to want to be happy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, in in light of the world we're living in and in light of some of the heavy topics that we're facing, I think this, this characteristic, this experience of pursuing happiness can be a real game changer personally for our hearts. And, you know, some of us wrestle with some shame or selfishness. I know you expressed that you had prior. I'd love for you to just tell us why it's okay. Give us some permission, friend. Absolutely. I'd be glad to. I think it really starts with this question. Is God a happy God? What do we really believe about God in his character? What do we really believe about Jesus in, in who he was while he walked on the earth? You know, we know that he was a man of sorrows, but was he happy? And I got to tell you, I had so much fun meeting a new, a very happy Jesus in Scripture um, the, some of my favorite verses are, I tell you all of these things so that you may be as happy as I am. Many times in scripture, um, that word has been changed to joy. Sometimes it's used as blessed, but the Greek word is makarios. And makarios can be translated as happy. So when he is on the sermon, on, uh, when he is giving the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus stands before the crowds, and the first word out of his mouth is makarios. We know it as, more typically, blessed are those who. But it can equally be translated to, happy are those who. And he goes through and tells us these things that can make us happy. And so that's that's one evidence of happiness mm. in Jesus and how he's a happy God and how it's important to him. And, um, you know, I think often about this um, this image of Jesus um, with children. Let the children come to me. These children wanted to come to him. What child wants to encounter an angry, bitter Jesus? Children go and run for happiness. 
and someone who has their arms wide open. And I think if we begin to look at God as a happy creator who happily created us to love and enjoy him forever, Mm -hmm. it begins to switch something inside of us where we see that happiness has value to God. And in fact, it's a very key component of his character. So that's a big piece of permission there, I think, is I think we have to ask ourselves about who God is. Well, and I think some people get caught up in viewing God as a God who can be angry and full of wrath. But the good news is, and, and we certainly do see that in the Old Testament, but the good news is Jesus came and the wrath of God through the sacrifice of Christ has been satisfied. And so when he looks on us, he sees Christ and that um, gives us so much freedom, don't you think? So that, much the, freedom. And the biggest reason of all for our happiness. Absolutely, Jackie. Yes. 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 Okay. So we don't all experience happiness the same way. Uh, you know, the, the question to be asked is, Jennifer, how do I find happiness? How can I be happy? Because what I'm facing today doesn't really make me feel so happy. And mm-hmm. I want to be happy. So, uh, but, but we all, you discovered, experience happiness differently. So take us through quickly, you know, just the five basic ways if they want to get the book or go do the quiz. I'm, I know they can do that but just to give them a taste and an idea of what it, what it's like, the five sure. types. Yeah. As I began doing my research on happiness, I found that there are five main determinants of happiness. They were coming up again and again in the research. And so those are that believing that your life has purpose. Uh, Number Mm -hmm. two is having a sense of belonging, feeling like I'm a part of a community. Um, the third is the, um, have, you know, finding happiness in moments and experiences, the kind the way you might feel if you're on your back deck while the sun is going down or under, under stars, um, on a camping trip or something, those kind of things. Another one is, um, helping others feel loved and cherished, uh, kind of giving of yourself to, to other people. And then the last one is using the power of our minds to learn and plan and dream. And so I thought, you know, there's different words associated with all of these. Um, and it, when you believe your life's, one's life has purpose, you're oftentimes what I call a doer. Um, when you want that sense of belonging, which we all do, that's the relater part of us. Uh, when we like uh, that sunset or that starry sky, you're an experiencer. When you're helping others feel loved and cherished, you are a giver. And when you're using the power of your mind to contemplate and daydream, you're a thinker. Now, because we are built in the image of God, we are really all five of those. But because we are unique individuals, I find that we have um, one kind of style that sort of rises to the top because of the way we were wired by God. So that's why on a Saturday night, a relater is excited about going to the block party in the cul-de-sac. But a thinker is content staying home watching a documentary on TV. And an experiencer, you know, maybe they will go to the block party, but they really would love to take a hike through the park at the edge of the neighborhood and watch the sunset over the lake. And the doer, maybe she's just going to stay home and weed the garden. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's like, you know, we, and obviously we can't just, the the block parties aren't just for the relators, right? Like even if we're thinkers, we need to get out and relate with people because we will find happiness in all of those. But I think that um, happiness style assessment, I call it, really gives people permission to um, be the fullest version of themselves and um, that I'm not weird if I prefer the documentary on um, a Saturday night, if I actually maybe want to go work at the soup kitchen instead because I'm a giver. That's been so freeing to watch women um, and men too uh, take that test and discover who they who they really are and what really makes them tick. And so one of the things that I I, I talk a lot about in the book are these five-minute happiness hacks, I call them, things that you can do in five minutes every day. Uh, I have them uh, laid out in the book 
by whatever your style is, but there's certain things that we can all do in just five minutes every day to, to boost happiness in our lives. And so, um, that's really a critical component of the happiness dare is, um, what I call the spiritual discipline of happiness. We know that we have to do things to, you know, build more self control in our lives, we know that we need to talk to God, so we have the spiritual discipline of prayer and we have fasting, but what would it be like to have a spiritual discipline of happiness where we're really working on building up those happiness muscles? Because I'm a doer, I take great delight in crossing things off of my to-do list. <laughs> um, and I, you know, in fact, after I finish something, if I don't have it on my list, I actually write it on my list so that I can have the satisfaction <laughs> of putting a little X in the box. <laughs> But one of my problems as a doer is when I look at my list, instead of lingering on the task that I have just completed and allowing myself to be happy in what I have accomplished, I am immediately moving on to the next thing. So I have begun to linger over my doing so let's say I finish a 500-word blog post. I will leave my desk, allow myself three to four to five minutes, and just think, that felt good. And God, thank you so much. I pray that this blog post will bless people. Thank you for giving me the ability to bless someone else with my words and just really linger in an accomplishment. Um, I think that even if you're not a doer, that we all have trouble with lingering. Like, what's what do you usually do, or what do people often do if you pay them a compliment? Oh, you know, I, I love your I love your hair today, Jackie. Oh, yeah, it's okay, I guess, but I really need a cut. Mm. Um, you know, we don't linger in the kind words that people say. We kind of move on, or or mm -hmm. think about what's missing or what we're not doing right. And so, lingering is actually a scientific principle set out by in some of these other books that I have read. But I've really been applying them to my spiritual life as well. So that's just one of the many mm -hmm. things that you can do in five minutes or less to boost your happiness. I love that, and I love that you also talked about how we really have a lot of control over whether we're happy. You know, sometimes we like to think. Or maybe we don't like to think, but we are prone to think that, well, our circumstances are, you know, beyond my ability to be happy right now. And you found that not to really be true. Right. Um, there is some great research in, in a book called The How of Happiness. Um, we find out that 50% um, of our happiness is governed by our genetic makeup. So that's that set point I was talking about earlier then 10% of our happiness is dictated by life circumstances. So that's actually not really very much. 10% 10 is, yep. uh, yeah, only 10%. So like getting the job you wanted would, you know, presumably boost your happiness or getting fired would, you know, lower it, mm -hmm. you know, losing a beloved pet or, um, you know, coming home to discover that the oak tree in your front yard fell through your roof or something like that. You know, all those things get are loaded into that 10%. Mm -hmm. And then that leaves a full 40% left to us. And that's the area that we have the ability to control um, our happiness and includes what we do and how we think. And, you know, that's, you know, what Jesus and what God have been telling us in scriptures all along, right? That we have this power to control, you know, our thoughts and have, ask God to make them obedient to Christ. And that's what uh, science is now telling us too, which, what do you know, scripture's been saying it all along. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think so. And yet, sometimes we're prone to sabotage our own happiness that we could be enjoying, because we either think we don't deserve it, or we should be content like we are, and it's not something that we should pursue. Or, yeah. you know, and, and I think what I love about your message is that you're encouraging us to, you know, find the style that we are innately born as, you know, whether you're a doer or a relater or experiencer, a giver or a thinker, there are some key things that um, are helpful to recognize about your type. And then there are some ways you can promote being more happy based on that individual assessment of who you are. And you also write of some things we should be aware of that could be hangups for us too. Oh, 
For sure. For sure. Yes. Huge red flags. Because the area where we're strongest and where we're wired to experience the most happiness is, get this, the area where we are most prone to fall into sin and idolatry. Yes. So like, okay, so for me, a doer, guess what, guess what my major red flags are, right? Guess where I can get into trouble? Um, people pleasing. <laughs> Yo, yeah, that's good. Perfectionism. That's especially the relator part of me is the people, people pleasing. But uh-huh. as a doer, mm-hmm. my red flag is overworking and wanting to overdo my doing, like to keep on working. Like I could, I could totally become a workaholic. Mm. And so I have to guard against that. And I have to guard against perfectionism because I want my work to really please people and please God. Mm -hmm. And so I will work, uh, work to the bone for excellence. And, um, that's, that's an area where I can get into a lot of trouble. Um, but all five of the types, uh, you you have to watch for those red flags, even the givers, it seems like the givers that they just kind of got it all together. Right. But (laughs) even givers have their own red flags. Imagine that, right. How can you, how can you overgive? But you know, a red, a red flag for a giver is becoming emotionally and physically drained from taking care of others, Mm -hmm. rarely asking for what you need, taking care of yourself always last and you know, may feel like your needs don't matter as much as someone else's. So no matter what five, one of the five types you are, there's things that you really have to guard against to guard not only your happiness, but your, your sense of, um, you know, just that self-care and just sanity. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So key. Well, I know you are cultivating a community around the hashtag, the happiness stare, and I'd love for you to share about that. But before you do, Let's talk a little bit about community and how others in our lives can really facilitate and propel us toward happiness because it's harder to be happy alone, I think. How can happiness be cultivated in community? How can it be a ladder that we could use to help each other? Well, I I know this. Um, I know that grumpiness is contagious. (laughs) I've seen it in my own in my own home, because if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, right? (laughs) But the other thing is that happiness is really contagious. Um, you, You know, that person in your life, and your listeners will perhaps have someone that's coming to mind right now, that person who walks into the room, and just brings with them a special light that lifts the mood. Um, and they don't have to be the most outgoing person in the room. But they're what I call the there you are people in a world that screams, here I am. (laughs) They are those people who are constantly looking to bring light to the lives of others. And right now, you may be that person. You may be that person who has so much happiness that it's just overflowing um, and uh, bringing light into the room. But... You might be the person who's sitting in a dark corner thinking that no one notices. Mm -hmm. And I think for those of us in the dark corner, we need to look for the light and believe that it's there and risk reaching out a hand to Mm -hmm. someone who is bringing light into the room. And if right now we are in a season where we are truly and deeply happy and where we are carrying light into the room, we have an obligation to carry it into the darkest corners Mm -hmm. because there are people sitting there who simply cannot see and have no hope and believe that happiness is not only, (laughs) that it's just completely out of reach and it's unattainable. It's not only permissible, but it's just not even achievable. Mm -hmm. So why does it even matter? So no matter where we are on that spectrum Uh, you know, in the dark corner, maybe just on the shadowy edge or right in the middle of the room, we have an obligation to take some sort of action. And maybe it's just raising your hand or your voice in the dark to say, someone help. I think those, the three of the most important words that any of us can say in the dark is I need help or I need light. Mm -hmm. And so if that's you um, on the other side of this podcast today, and you're in that dark corner and feeling that happiness is unattainable, I just encourage you and pray that you would just say, I need 
help. And um, for those of you listening who are standing in the light and being light bearers, um, that it's not something that we're called to keep to ourselves, but that we're called to shine into the darkest corners. I love that. And you're doing that with the hashtag, the happiness dare. Yes. You are doing that. Tell us about that, how, how we can all get involved and then where we can find you and the book. We're using the hashtag, the happiness dare, especially I'm seeing it really growing over on Instagram. So fun that people are just, um, you know, finding those little pockets of happiness, those little bits of light in their day, things that have brought them an an, an unexpected surprise of joy. Uh, something that maybe makes them them happy as a doer or a giver or a relater, a thinker, an experience, or just sharing all of that, a bouquet of flowers, a favorite meal, a terrific cup of coffee, and just mm-hmm. tagging it the happiness dare. And, you know, we just hope that other people who maybe, you know, aren't even, uh, um, don't even know the Lord, that they might click on that hashtag and be encouraged to check out what it really means to be happy in Jesus because we're finding our sweet spots, right? That's right. Candy seems to be our theme. Oh, tell them about the book cover. The book cover is so fun. You know, I began to write and talk about these sweet spots of happiness. And the designers at um, Tyndale were just brilliant. They ordered hundreds of M&M's and little candies and gumdrops and Twizzlers, and they laid them out on a board, and they made this cover out of actual candy, actual (laughs) Twizzlers twisted into the words the and dare. And then happiness, those are M&Ms turned upside down and spelled out into the word happiness. This isn't like some Photoshopped thing. You know, and we kept going back and saying, no, you need to tilt that that line on the D a little bit. That Twizzler needs to move because this just isn't right. I can't ima- <laughs> tell you how hard it had to have been and <laughs> how unhappy they may have been with all the revisions I was asking them to make on this candy. <laughs> but I, I think it's just brilliant and so fun. So fun. Uh, Real candy. So fun. Well, the images I've been seeing shared around are full of candy and color and certainly making all of our hearts have a sweet spot as we view them and uh, where can we find you and the book and follow along finding our happy and daring to pursue it well you can find um, the, everything you need to know about the happiness dare at the when you go to that link over the next few weeks we'll be adding more and more free resources for readers so they can get their happiness on. We even have a fun, happy playlist over there. It's terrific. It's getting played like crazy over on Spotify. We have um, printables that will soon be available for you and also everything you need to know about where to get the book. It released on August 2nd and it's available in bookstores everywhere and on online retailers like Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all of any of christianbook.com, dayspring.com, all carry the book. Awesome. Well, I will link to all of that and to all your social media sites so they can track you down and uh, follow along. Jennifer, thank you, first of all, for writing this message, for daring us to believe that happiness is something that we are allowed to pursue and for leading the way so we can experience it together. I'm so thankful for you. Well, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much. (laughs) Have an awesome day. You too. Well, I am so happy that Jennifer was able to join us here. And as usual, all the links that were mentioned in this episode will be on the show notes page, JackieWatkins.com forward slash episode 95. But you can also see them in the podcast app that you're listening in. So all you have to do is click on or tap on the artwork of the show as it appears on your phone or mobile device. And underneath there, there will be words with hyperlinks that you can click through and check out all the links there. Now, one of the things about interviewing authors and having a podcast, I love giving away books. It's so fun. I wish I could send all of you these books, honestly. But um, I'm realizing that I forget to tell you who won the book giveaways. And so I just wanted to mention uh, the last two book giveaways that we had. 
Krista Black Gifford's book, Heart Made Whole. The winner of that book was Charlene Searing. And the winner of Jay and Catherine Wolfe's book, Hope Heals, that was Rebecca Lee. So congratulations to those two ladies. Jennifer has graciously offered to give away two signed copies of The Happiness Dare. And I'm going to leave the giveaway open until Thursday, August 11th at midnight Pacific Standard Time. And it's super easy to enter. All you have to do is get out your phone and text the words Happiness Dare to the number 33444. Again, you just text 33444 and you enter the word Happiness Dare with no spaces and we'll enter you to win one of two signed copies of Jennifer's book. And I hope you love it as much as I have. Now, two other things before we go. Some of you have noticed I've been on Snapchat or you've heard me talk about being on Snapchat. Well, something super cool happened yesterday. Instagram came out with some of the same features as Snapchat and it's called Stories. And it's just a way to get behind the scenes with picture, video of what going on in someone that you follow on Instagram. And I'm going to be hanging out over there. I would love for any of you who want to to join me. You can find me on Instagram at Jackie underscore Watkins. And I would love to connect with you there. You can always send me a message to whatever I post on my stories. And it'll just be a fun way to interact. I'm looking forward to exploring it more and checking it out. And if you haven't checked it out, you absolutely should. It's super fun. And for those of you who are parents with kids who are approaching or maybe they're already in the teen years, I would love for you to be the first to be notified when my new e-course entitled Connecting with Your Teen is available, which will be soon. In order to be added to the wait list so you can get the very first info about this course Connecting with Your Teen, you can text the word Connect with Your Teen to the number 33444 and you will be added to be the first to be notified. I'm super excited about this because connecting with our teens can be something that is really rich. It can be a rich time of family connection and growth and my experience has been so good and I want yours to be too. In fact, I want it to be happy. (laughs) So Again, connect with your team, text that word to uh, 33444, and I will add you to that list. Again, don't forget to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a thing because I love meeting with you here each and every week. I'm cheering you on as you pursue happiness in your life. And please know, no matter what you're facing today, you are so loved and you are never, ever alone. Have a super happy day.